Good day to you. My name is James Langridge, and I am the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. And back again today with another podcast. And as usual, spare at no expense, we have another wonderful guest on today. We have none other than Dan Lyle, director of AEG Rugby on the line. Good day to you, Dan. How are you? Um, I guess the best way of saying is that I'm okay. I'm probably like everyone else, um, you know, quarantined and trying to do our part, uh, but, um, you know, motivated that, uh, you know, that uh, we're getting a lot of time to talk to each other now and think about things that uh, I thought about, uh, you know, in our busy lives, you know, pre-COVID. Absolutely. I think, um, I think we're all learning something new about ourselves on a daily basis, I read somewhere, um, if you're confused at the moment, it means you're about to learn something new. So I would say I'm learning something or often or all the time. Um, Dan, uh, I, I spoke recently with uh, a mutual acquaintance or a friend of yours, Mike Tyndall. He sends his regards. Um, and we were talking about that the Rugby Sevens in LA was actually the last uh, major sporting event, apart from the marathon, the AEG rugby event was the, la was the last major sporting event before the lockdown happened. Um, I think you put on a fabulous event. Tell us a little bit more about that, what, what went into it, and post that, what, what have you been working on? Thanks. Uh, teammates at Bath for a long time, and of course, uh, everyone knows that uh, He's married to the Queen's granddaughter and uh, won the World Cup as a as a center. But uh, yeah, we had a lot of really good good times together. And uh, those uh, give a little bit of plug for his show, the Rugby Joe that he does uh, with uh, Haskell and Alex Payne is very very funny. So uh, it, it's a, it's a good levity in, in these times. So Mike's a good guy um, all together. Um, Look, the uh, the LA Sevens is part of the HSBC World Seven Series, um, which is the ten stops around the world for the me for men's rugby um, leading into the Olympics. Which I think everybody knows. This year, the Olympics were postponed uh, from 2020 to 2021, um, and the event has been in the United States for well over a decade. Um, and uh, we it moved from Los Las Vegas to Los Angeles this year. And uh, we built it and it was held at Dignity Health Sports Park. And it's the 16 best international teams from, you know, the New Zealands, the Englands, the USA, all from around the world uh, competing. And, uh, and, and we had a year one at Dignity Health Sports Park, which AEG owns, where the Galaxy play and uh, where the Chargers are played up until uh, this year where, when SoFi opens in L.A. So um, great venue, um, you know, great uh, um, teams that came and uh and we had a good year one event um that the uh, the attendance uh well over eighteen thousand on day one and fifteen thousand really encouraged by uh, you know the how the event uh, um responded how the, uh, the responded and uh really gained a lot of uh, ammunition to to grow it for year two and beyond no, it was, it was, I mean, I, I went on both days. I think the build up to it was fabulous. Um, British American Business Council, huge supporters of the event and were delighted to be uh, involved. And, and we, we hope that we helped uh, raise some awareness for you. Um, now, that, now that the event is behind you and, and the lockdown is in place 
how is that affecting your future plans for rugby sevens in LA? Well, I think we would already come out, would, would have had meetings with a lot of people, a lot of our partners and a lot of the partners that are part of the event, obviously principal partner in HSBC and others, um, and really kind of started to dig into a local strategy because the, the number one goal for to make it accessible um, to Los Angelinos, you know, to those that are, that are in the community there and something that probably like rugby has relied too heavily on just rugby people for a very, very long time. Um, we would have done a lot of that uh, legwork and had a lot of follow-up meetings and really um, would have uh, created some community structure that um, that uh, were kind of all on hold. You know, we have uh, a lot of grassroots uh, grow the game strategies that are part and parcel to that. So a lot of that stuff has been put on hold. And what we've had to do is, is take a, a step back and, and, uh, and start to look at the with the the lens of uh, you know what's the what's the long term viability of uh, of this of the game you know within Los Angeles and with this venue and and certainly uh, uh, very privileged working for AEG because we've got our eyes on a lot of sports in Los Angeles as well as around the United States and globally and really taking a look at how everyone is put a pause or a, you know engage the the, uh, the 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 break, if you will, and uh, is trying to evaluate what their value is and how they grow moving forward. Now, um, that, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, now, AEG is not just rugby, um, and we're in a town which is is the entertainment capital of the world, and we love our sport as well. What? With everything that's going on and the discussions that you're having, can you share with the listeners a little bit more about what the future might look for sport and some entertainment venues that AEG work with or own? Um, and what the strategy will be? I mean, social distancing, it's putting everything on top of its head and we're having to rethink everything. What, what kind of discussions are you having? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, a company like AEG, you know, we did like everybody else. We, you know, we kind of, uh, when everything shut down, we're, we're about 70 percent you know and uh, music you know um in all of our venues and about 30 percent sports uh, we had to shut everything down because we're arenas and stadiums and festivals and and seasons so um we consolidated you know uh, looked internally and uh, you know started looking at how how does this stuff how can back together the teams back on the field and what does that modeling look like you know in the future and and you know luckily um we have a number of venues and teams, the LA Galaxy, the LA Kings, we own percentage of the Lakers, uh, in, all in Los Angeles, as well as the Ontario, Ontario Reign, but we have about 14 other franchises and probably up to 50 different franchises around the world that we, that we own or manage the buildings that they participate in. And so what really happened was our venue managers, city by city, and for example, Katie Pandolfo that runs Dignity Hill Sports Park is part of consortium in Los Angeles where all the venues are together, getting together and they're looking at you know, how they would open back up again to 25% crowds, 50% crowds. What's the, how do you create the flow and activity within your venues and people getting there and exiting the venue and what, you know, how do they do simple things like you know, buy a soda or a beer what does that look like? And then our our, our senior executive 
Ackerman, our CEO, and others are on league-wide initiatives where they're they're in concert with uh, the, the the Governor Newsom and and the mayor and everybody, and they're talking about you know what what can be done behind closed doors. How do you create next step conversations, you know, and and doing that not just in in Los Angeles but all the major cities that that these teams are participating in. You know, and, and everything's everything is on the on the table right now. Whether it be the NBA all getting together in Orlando and trying to finish out their season, whether it's the early entry of individual athletes, you know, at Dignity Hill Sports Park, the Galaxy training just one on one, then going then going to multiples and and really kind of seeing how the virus and and other things are, are reactive to that. Because I think we're all we all are following that public health officials and the science, you know, and Antibodies meets vaccine meets treatment. That trifecta, something along all three of those things, are going to be contributing factors um, to uh, to getting back on the field, to getting you know pe- you know music back in back in venues, and of course uh, you know people into stadiums and arenas. Thank you. I uh, I agree. I think everybody. I mean, we all are excited. I mean, humans need human contact. We, we like to be out. We want to be out in the open. We want to be with our pals. We want to be enjoying sports events and music events. So it's just, it's a completely different experience right now. And we are, I know I'm excited to get back and get back out there. So Dan, just digging in a little bit further on that in regards to um, venues and people wanting to get back together in gatherings. When, do we have any sense of a timeline, Rhett, yet? When, when, I mean, it's going to be a major thing when we have that first sporting event or that first concert. Any sense of when people can expect that? Well, I think um, it's pretty well reported now. And, you know, we have some intimate relationships with uh, some of the major broadcasters, um, as well as I said, you know, uh, really an inside lens on, on a number of sports uh, through ownership or at the league level, uh, I think that, you know, golf and, and, and motor racing and a few other things will start within the next couple of weeks. Um, and they are uh, feverishly looking at, uh, at sports uh, from a, um, a scalability, a phase ability, just like they are at opening society right now on getting, you know, uh, people back together on the, on the same pitch or field or court. Uh, right now, that's not individually things that are, are, you know, like tennis and others probably have a higher uh, capacity, but the, the, it, it really is a, a longer lens. Um, I think the next month or two of seeing how um, teams react. And if, you know, I think uh, the Today Show this morning was doing something about um, Korean baseball, right? They're back on the thing and they're like, well, you know, who has the rights to Korean baseball in the United States? And they were all laughing. Right. And in that regard, because they're playing, you know, but no crowds there. Um, it really um, will be that trifecta of testing, you know, and, and antibodies and all that. And, and what the what kind of society begins to look like. It, it, it feels more like that restaurants and uh, schools will open before arenas and stadiums will. Um, and look, I'm, I'm not. Uh, uh, no one's an expert in this right now. Not not one person you talk to is an expert. Everyone is is trying to rationalize, you know, this conversation. But um, 
you know, social distancing is both a, a mentality as well as a uh, as well as a practical exercise. You know, I think we all think I think there's two political parties nowadays: one, you know, the people that wear masks and people that don't wear masks, right? Uh, I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I suppose really the question is: Do you is there going to be? Do you think? I mean, people people are always going to love sport. People are going to love entertainment. Mm-hmm. Is there going to be more of an investment from AEG in being able to broadcast that? I mean, there's going to be some potentially more people watching it on TV than actually physically attending the events. So is there any discussions right now on an increase in the technology that we're going to use or or the cameras? I mean, just the camera angles, the commentary? Yes. Look, certain rights holders uh, get paid uh, more. Uh, if it's on TV, right? You know, of course, broadcast is the main vein for most organizations, right? So getting it back on TV, but some some sports, uh, rugby being one of them, they need the attendance. They they're still super reliant uh, upon ticketing and merchandise and food and beverage, you know, for their overall, you know, uh, cost of things. Not to say that everybody is. And, and and look, if if people don't have money you know, to buy the products that you're advertising on, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a different conversation as well. So, you know, the society needs to start up the, the functionality of, uh, of the, the people that are suffering the most, you know, are people that are hourly employees that, that, you know, that are reliant upon the social interaction and people getting together, right? So I think everybody is racking their brains to, to get to that point. And, and I think one of the big things, you know, being a global company is that, in the United States, while we have this debate about what state is doing what and one state is doing what, because it's, you know, if you've been abroad and most you most of your listeners, you know, know what the international game looks like. I mean, we're, you know, uh, you know, Seattle to Orlando is like Ireland to Istanbul, right? You know, and each country has got specific requirements and are doing different things by way of social distancing and so forth. So most sports around the world. Are, are cross-border competitions, right? And so what's your regulatory dialogue versus somebody else's regulatory dialogue is really interesting. And while we see it kind of from a state to state and who's opening and who's not opening, that's really what's happening around the world to a much higher degree because you've got countries, you know, even though there's a lot of open border policies. And here's, an, here's something that, you know, what I'm monitoring a lot is that rugby league is looking at it opening itself over in Australia, New Zealand, you know, the teams have started to train a little bit and that, you know, rugby feels to me one of the last sports that will come back because you're so close together so often. Um, but New Zealand has a, you know, almost a zero infection rate over the last few, uh, few, uh, few weeks, right? So, you know, looking at them as a microcosm, you know, and maybe Australia, New Zealand, you know, uh, t- tournaments and teams start happening. And while that's, inner country, um, you've got to look at it as people are going to take uh, take different risks uh, at different times based upon their own circumstances. And we're all going to be able to learn lessons from that. And I think that that's what you're going to see on top of how the science advances these next couple of months. You're going to see people in different countries and different states uh, trying to do different things. And the reactions of those you know, um, is, you know, science, while it is fact-based, it's also observation, right? So we're going to see, a, we're going to observing a lot. 
No, absolutely. So you talk about globally in different countries adopting different uh, strategies, which makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Rugby Sevens is not just unique to LA. Rugby Sevens has been running for many years. Forgive me, I don't know how many. How many years has Rugby Sevens been running, Dan? Been, it's 18, been a long 1883, time. Ned Craig in Melrose, Scotland, invented the sport. So a butcher. God bless him. Yeah, um, I, should, I shouldn't know that, but I do. So. Oh, no, it's good. Um, so um, it's been affected everywhere. Uh, as, with, as with all sport, globally, what's the strategy for Rugby Sevens? When, when will we see... Will we see a Rugby Sevens tournament this year? Um, you know, of course, they postponed uh, the, the Singapore and Hong Kong, which has been the historically the granddaddy of them all. And the last two tournaments in London and Paris were postponed to September and October. And, you know, the, the likelihood of those events happening, you know, you don't want to say, you know, never is probably not very high. And in rugby, You've got to you've got to combine the conversation between sevens and fifteens. And while there are two sports, one's the Olympic sport in sevens, and one is the you know the 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 main code of the game that that all the clubs and tournaments and participants go. Um, they're really looking at that's the value proposition. Fifteens is for for how World Rugby makes most of its money off of the World Cup, and they were very lucky that it just happened in Japan last year. So they've they've kind of got their nest egg over the, for the next four years. So they're able to help out, you know, those unions and those groups that are, that are struggling right now. Of course, the postponement of the Olympics, you know, um, helps, you know, that, that it quasi ring fences, the, the money that goes into the individual countries by way of their Olympic committees for sevens. But um, look, James, it's hard to say whether sevens will happen in 2020. My likelihood is probably not there. If anything happens towards the latter half of the fall, it'll probably be 15s, the, the, the last two rounds of the Six Nations, you know, that hmm. happen, maybe some, uh, some internationals, maybe the club season starts again. But I think that most people are, are really programming themselves to say, okay, what does the next 60 to 90 days look like with athlete interaction and the science? And if those things go well, then there's a possibility of rugby most likely 15s happening at the international level and the club level in the autumn. Mm. Um, if well, that's not, to look forward to. if not, you know, that we're, we're, that's the, that's the projection of, of, of a vaccine. So it's most likely going to happen in 2021. And, and, and then for us, it may, probably means a truncated seven season, you know, um, uh, and, but I, I, I have, I, I would believe that the LA sevens would exist you know, in 2021 is a build up to the 21 Olympics. Um, same weekend moves, moves a couple of weeks here or there. We're all talking a, a, about a lot of scenarios right now. Yeah, no, I'm sure that. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, do you, the concept of playing in an, in an empty stadium, is that something that's being discussed? Is that something is a, is a concept of an empty state arena for a concert? Is that something that's being discussed? Are you aware of any of that right now? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of live streaming and behind closed door stuff. I mean, you, you take the um, you take some of the uh, the, the interaction of, of IndyCar or NASCAR or things like that, that we all know in the states, and you probably can do those things. You could probably do a 75 man or women or 100 person golf field, but you could never do the Ryder Cup like that, right? Because you know it's so dependent on the fans, right? So there's certain things that 
you know, that, that they're built for fans and they're built, you know, the television as well as the interaction is built for that. So it would be a hard time doing those things. And certainly the longer you get, the harder it is financially. Um, as I said, your, 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 your television is, 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 is the byproduct of, of, of the product, right? That, you're, that you've got a bunch of people that want it, but it's because people want to attend those matches and they want to buy the products associated with it. They want to make a day of it and all that kind of stuff. So it's really about the economy opening up that changes the dynamic of things um, for most things. But certainly there is an appetite for, for, uh, for certain things to open up and, uh, and to get everybody kind of aware that the sport is, is going again. And you've got to get the athletes in close proximity to each other to test that out as well. So, and, and, as, and as well as, you know, the bands and those groups yep. back together as well. So, so um, I, I can relate to that. Um, we're big fans of WWE in our house. And we tried, we watched WrestleMania this year in the empty stadium. We watched it on TV and it, it I mean, we watch it on TV all the time. But there's just that, there's that level of atmosphere. There was no, it's no atmosphere when you don't have the crowd there. And we're big fans of boxing as well. And boxing is, is very important to have a crowd there, I think. So I totally understand. I think, I think everyone's itching just to see something happen. I think there was marble racing on the TV the other day or cornhole or something. Someone was watching it and it, it just, everyone was into it because there's nothing else really going on. Um, yeah, even, you know, the... The production values, the production values obviously go way down, right? You know, and but right. you know, the the NFL uh, uh, draft was a perfect example of that, right? You know, you've got right. You know, w- you know it, this is a transactional dialogue, but you know, and but fifty, you know, and that is really boring. Takes a long time, you know, and the, and Roger Goodell, the, the commissioner, in his basement, you know, and a couple of other guys talking about it, but. 15 million people <laughs> watch a transactional conversation, right? Uh, that is, uh, that relatively is boring because we're all sitting in the same places, right? We're watching the, uh, trying to figure I, out, you know, trying to be, trying to be entertained, you know? I, I think what it is. Yeah, I agree. I think what it is, is try not to put the cart before the horse because I know everyone wants this, but I think everyone would be terrified if God forbid we start get back and have a sporting event and then everyone gets sick again. That's obviously what everyone's wanting to avoid because no one wants to be the person who started it and, and then it has a problem. So I understand. Yeah. Um, you, you've been in plenty of sporting moments um, and there have been times where you've had to really dig deep and get your guys to, to get that victory. Um, Tell us a little bit more about some of those days, Dan, and what it was like and what, what, how you were able to dig deep and, and get the team motivated. This is important to share as well, just not just from a sports side of thing, just from a general, we all have, I guess really where I'm going with this is we've had, when people have routines, they've, they've been put on top of their head right now. We've had to find a new routine, a new way of making it happen. And when the rubber hits the road and we're going to have to get back out there and get going again, we're going to need that positivity what what would you be saying to people right now to, to dig deep and find that well i had a coach um years ago my first national team coach for the u.s that coaches at university of california uh and um you know he, he his name's jack clark he, he does a lot of uh 
of motivation and coaching coaches and people like that. And, you know, the, the, the number one thing he says he wants to give to his players and he's, he's been there for 35 plus years or, or longer, you know, is that each and every single person that walks out of his program, you know, has got a PhD in team, you know, and I think that, 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 you know, team sports uh, and certainly open chain sports like rugby and basketball and soccer. And, uh, but I think everything, there's not one individual that's going to change the dynamics consistently. You know, um, it's going to be a group of people that come together and you become self-reliant. You learn a lot about yourself, um, you know, through those moments. But the reality is that that persistence and that grit that you learn you know, is, is by being collaborative and being around teams. And so the, 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 the moments that you, that you're, uh, that you're at your most successful is because others around you, you know, have, uh, have driven you, you know, and supported what you're doing, right. You know, it's the, you know, the, the great finishers of the world, you know, would never get there, you know, in rugby, you know, unless the, uh, the, 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 the big old brutes, you know, uh, you know, scrummed or line outs and got the ball, you know, into that situation. So, Look, the, the, the tenacity of your day-to-day or the suffering of your day-to-day, you know, um, can be overcome with, you know, talking to somebody individually, thinking about how you can help others and how you're part of a team, you know. And, uh, you know, so, you know, it's a big, it's a big part of, uh, of sport, you know, transition as well, right? Because you, you only have this this body and this speed for a certain period of time, right? You know what I mean? It's, there's always going to be a transition from a professional player, you know, into uh, back into the real world, right? And yep. so um, you're, you're going to have those. And, and a lot of people have in, in, in those transitions, you know, it takes a lot because you're no longer in that, in that environment anymore. And, and the funny thing is, is it, you can't be in that environment anymore. You're, you're physically not able to do it, even if you mentally think, that you're going to do it. So there, there is a natural transition to all things. Right. And so um, I think that the biggest moments um, in my career, you know, are revolved around understanding when those moments were going to happen. And they say the best of the best, really, it's about anticipation, right? It's about anticipating those moments, seeing it before anybody else. And, and that's, to me, that's about preparation. And, and, you know, so I, I think that, a, everybody on this call, or, or sorry, everybody on the, that's listening to this podcast, you know, can be more interactive, more collaborative, listen, be, be you, know, you know, gain that PhD and team, you know, a little bit more. And, and, everybody, and everybody can look at, okay, ahead of them. And when are these transition moments going to happen in my business or in my, in my life? And, and really try to anticipate them, you know, and, and really plan for them. And if you can, you're going to get ahead of the curve. And you know, the, the Anschutz Entertainment Group, AEG, it's, it's Phil Anschutz, you know, who's the principal and owner of it. Uh, you know, he, he's one of those guys that kind of sees, saw things before others, right? He saw that downtown property called the Staples Center, right? And said, I could build an arena there and we can make that down. No one, no one would ever have gone down there before that arena and all that stuff, right? He looked at soccer and said, in America and said, hey, that's a sport that's global and why isn't it big here? And let's let's do things. The O2, right? Taking the O2 arena, you know, that was just bought it for a dollar from the British government, right? And, or a pound, right? And so forth. And really kind of, 
you know, looked at, at different moments, but, you know, it, it's anticipating, well, how am I going to get people there before the tube can be built to get there, right? And bought the Thames Clippers, right? Uh, and, and to get people to, to, to you know, over, over there and so forth. So, you know, you have to have a, a, some thoughts about how you're going to plan and, and how you're going to persevere. But it, you, most of that's going to come through moments where people are together. Thank you. Um, was it a, when, 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 you're, when you started to transition from sports into uh, more of the business side of sports, tell us a little bit more about that, Dan. How was that transition? I mean, obviously, you're, you're leading a very popular um, event that's, that's here in L.A. And, and worldwide. Tell us a little bit more about that transition. Yeah, I think I think as if you're in the sport, you're you're either going to get out of the sport, you know, and do something else with your life. Um, you're going to um, or do one of two things within the sport. You're going to, you know, kind of be on the technical side, be a coach on that side, or be an administrator side of things. And just jumping in there, did you ever want to be a coach? Well, you know, I, um, I think you're you're always coaching kids and active and doing things and. You know, I'm an I'm I'm a coach now of the U10s and the U12s with my kids and so forth. So, you know, I enjoy seeing people excel, but probably not. Um, I was never going to be that that type of coach at the at the high performance level, but I did see the need for greater administrative, greater knowledge of of the you know the I I say, I say the value of a tackle and the value of a ticket at the same time. How do you how do you grow the game? Um, and so my transition started really early while I was playing. I was the, I was the bath representative representative to the players association and then was on the players association executive committee, you know, for a number of years and, and then worked for GE capital to understand kind of the business side of things while I was in the UK. And so I, I really thought of myself as kind of on the business side of things and the administrative side of things early and really, started that education, you know, I'd already had a university degree and all, and, and was doing, you know, doing, you know, part-time graduate work as well. So really transitioning early. And I think that that was really, for me, I always knew that there was probably a sports admin or a business uh, job afterwards and, and just preparing myself early. And, um, you know, back now, uh, most clubs have a transition structure and they also have, and the players association helps that for all the UK athletes, certainly all the, all the, uh, everyone in the United States, because, you know, in rugby, even today that there's a, there's a good amount of money. You're probably not going to be able to retire unless you really do a, a good number of investments and buy some properties and things like that. You're probably not going to be able to retire on what you make in rugby. So you, you've always got to be thinking about what I want to do. That's some great insight there. Thank you. Um, as we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel here, just from a from a business side of things now, and people are preparing themselves to get back into the working world. Some people have been out of work for several weeks, and now all of a sudden we've got that. We, we need to we need to take some action and motivate ourselves. Um, you're big on motivational speeches. Uh, Mike Tyndall shared that with us. He said you were the ultimate speaker when you were the captain of the team. Tell us a little bit more about maybe some of the, how, how you come up with some of those team talks, because in England, uh, England and America is, is different on in um, you Americans. You just have a way with words that get people motivated, especially in sports. How would you come up with some of those, Dan? I don't know. I, I think uh, 
if you're a Brit in America, you just open your mouth and act like you have the Queen's English. You can, you can sell ice to an Eskimo sometimes. Does right? help. You know, Does you know, help. So, I, I don't know. I I had I was the reverse of that. I had the American accent, you know, as one of the only guys over in the UK. You know, so uh, that works maybe, too. You know, maybe it was the reverse uh, kind of things. But um, look, um, uh, it's it's both a, a a curse as well as a strength that. Uh, I'm very contextual. I want to know a lot about a lot. You know, I was a history and politics major. So I, I want to know about things. And sometimes you, you know, it, it burdens you because you want to know too much, right? You know, uh, sometimes uh, when I'm doing broadcasting for NBC, you know, you, you've got 50 thoughts in your head, right? And you're not, uh, but what you learn over time is that you need to be word of, efficient. You need to be efficient with what you say, you know, and you need to know your audience, right? And in, in, in the sport of rugby, do you dumb it down completely and say, this is what a scrum is and this is what a thing is, you know, or do you, you know, talk to, the, talk to it like you're talking to a very mature audience? And the reality is that you've got to find the middle ground, you, right? You have to be able to, to communicate to everybody, you know, in a way that is impactful enough to where they understand what you're doing. So that's the contextual side of things, as well as the noting the audience side of things. And, and over time, you, you just, you know, you, you figure it out, um, you know, it, and it's, it's really easy to be in a locker room, you know, and stand up in front of a bunch of guys that you really care a lot about, you know, and do, and, uh, and you're able to motivate them because you're, you care about what they're doing and you know, they care about what you're doing and, and you're in a team environment. So those are pretty good training grounds. You know, uh, I, I, I'm sure I had a few of my WWE moments with the, with the guys in the locker room while I was, you know, pretending like I was Ric Flair or, you know, or the, or the rock, you know, and jumping off of a jumping off of things, you know, and maybe that was kind of the co comedy of being an American in a UK environment. It's, a, you know, bringing some fresh, some freshness to that. But um, look, I, I was just really privileged to, um, that, to, to be in those environments and those were the good proving grounds being captains of teams. You have to talk a lot, right. Whether you like it or not, you know, so um you know, I always say to people, put yourself out there. I say to my kids, you know what I mean? You know, just try it, you know, try it, you know, finish it. And then if you like it, you know, or you'll, or you'll learn something from it. And, and uh, ultimately if you've got to put yourselves in those circumstances. No, I, it's an absolutely brilliant perspective. And, uh, and, and people need to hear that. So we're, we're coming to the end of this then and, and, and just kind of going back to the people are going back to work. What's your, if you were to give a couple of sentences for people listening on what they could, how they should be, I mean, just from your point of view, just from the positive side of things on how you think this is all going to work out, what would you tell everyone listening right now? Well, um, you know, patience is a virtue for, for that very reasons, right? And, and you know, you, you've, um, you've got to slow your tempo down a little bit, you know, um, and, and realize that so many things are out of your control, right? Um, and, you know, the things that you can control, the things that you can invest in, you know, your family, what you're putting inside your body, what you're, you know, you're working out a little bit, just getting, you know, the fresh air and perspective, you know, I, I think that that you can control those things. And if you can control some of those things, none of us are perfect. <laughs> We're stumbling all over the place, all of us, right? The, the, the best and brightest are stumbling, right, at this point, because we're all in a situation that we that no one has ever been in, right? There's no, there's no precedent. There's no 
book to go to and all that kind of stuff. And every motivational speaker and speech that you hear, you know, it, it's, you know, it's based upon, you know, somebody's livelihood or life that they experienced that they've had or the summation of those things. So I would say, look, there's no answer to this. Oh, oh, just, but just invest in yourself, right? Right now, invest in your family, invest in your coworkers with some patience, you know, and some, and some, you know, some, some humility, right? You know, but, but I always have that professional will to, to stand up and, and get up each day, do some things that are going to advance yourself and, and what you're doing and others. And if you, if you've got that right now, the science will come to us, right? We, that's what we don't control, but it will come to us. And, and it'll, as soon as it hits us, we'll all know, and we'll know the next steps for us. And, and my last point would, it would be to, to, uh, support those that can't support us and be thankful for those that are, that are supporting us that are on the front lines. But, uh, that's my, uh, that's my day to day. Oh, thanks for that. That outlook that's, uh, and people need to hear it. Um, we're all in this together. Um, and there is a new normal coming. And I think if we can remain, stay on point and just focus on the fact that this will end and this moment will pass and we'll still be here after all of this, we'll get through it. And it's that one day at a time analogy works all of the time. Just focus on what you have to do today and worry about tomorrow when it turns up. And thank you so much for joining us today on the call. My name is James Langridge. You have been listening to another British American Business Council podcast here in LA. Stay tuned for another one soon. Thank you. <laughs>